Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time for governing. Thank you, Paula, for filling in. Keep your uh, fingers in those texts that she read in 1 Corinthians and in Romans. Today I want to uh, start a short series on church. It's an amazing thing, this thing we call the body of Christ. And it's an amazing thing, this eclectic gathering of individuals and families, different uh, backgrounds, different cultures even sometimes, certainly uh, different individual uh, stories and upbringings. And we gather for a host of reasons. And this gathering is designed to uh, strengthen and encourage and guide and ultimately be a part of what saves us. You see, you, the church doesn't save you. Christ saves you. We've got to be really clear about that. But the Christ who saves you calls you into the community of the saved. Amen? And so <laughs> we can talk about a salvation community without uh, hopefully becoming confused about the source or the nature of, of that salvation. Today's Memorial Day, and it didn't seem right to begin as a series on ecclesiology or the study of church in a day that we have so much to be thankful for, and then it occurred to me that there were perfect connections that could be made to connect Memorial Day and the idea of what church is about and how those, uh, how those connect will, sh will soon be evident. You see, we, we live in an interesting country, in an interesting time in history. We live in a great country in many ways. We live in a challenged and troubled country in many ways. But in the course of its development, in the course of its history, it has had many wars. We don't think about them much. We don't think about them often unless we've been through them perhaps and share in the collective memories of the soldiers who have experienced the kind of trauma that only war can bring about. Or unless we were civilians, perhaps, in a war zone at a time of war. A Magdalena Kloss could tell you incredible stories of life near Dresden, Germany in World War II as a civilian. She could tell you amazing stories. But what we remember at Memorial Day, ideally anyway, is those who have given all. And it's really hard for me 
to wrap my mind around. At 17 years of age, I got a letter from the government that informed me that I needed to register. Now, the draft was, was done with by the time I turned 18. There was no draft, but the government was nervous about not having a quick list of people to draft if it needed to have a draft. And so all the young men coming up for eligibility in age were required to register. And I remember going to the post office and receiving a manila card that was yay big with some very basic information, and I had to fill that card out and submit it to the postmaster who returned it then, and it's probably in some vault somewhere in Washington, I don't know. Maybe they've had the good sense to shred it by now. But in the experience of men older than me, there was really a draft. My father didn't have a choice about service, nor my wife's father. And the government, that text Paul had just read from Romans, demanded a particular kind of service. And they needed to obey. They needed to comply. But if we put that on a personal level, imagine what that looks like to send an 18-year-old man away from your home. Imagine the joy of welcoming him or the trial of watching him struggle to recover from injuries, burns, amputations, to adapt, to deal with the psychological trauma and the memories of his wartime experience. Or imagine meeting that person at the door, hat in hand, with the terrible news he's not coming home. That is the sacrifice that many have made. That is what government has required. That is what war takes from us. It's what we would call the price of freedom. And Paul says that these authorities exist and that they are to be honored. Romans 13 again. I'm reading from the NIV, slightly different version than was read earlier. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, a repetition. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. And you remember the rest. Even taxes. Now, I could become a very unpopular pastor very quickly on this subject. Because if I ask you to raise your hands, if you believe you're paying too much in taxes, I'm guessing 85 to 95% of you would raise your hands. And if you aren't raising your hands, it isn't because you disagree, it's because you're not a hand raiser. <laughs> See, I know there are a percentage of out there going, oh, no, I'm not raising my hand. And we could go into all the reasons for that, but we won't. You would agree, you're paying too much in taxes, and yet... Uh, 
right there in Romans it says the tax man cometh and it's okay there's a reason now this doesn't mean that we can't question government it doesn't mean that we shouldn't protest certain acts of government it doesn't mean that we shouldn't practice civil disobedience when we need to it doesn't mean a host of things what it means is that as we think about this particular holiday a kind of true holy day if you will in which we remember those who've made that sacrifice and those who've loved them we're reminded of what it takes to be great and what it takes to be free and in the same way that a nation pauses in memoriam in the same way that we reflect on the sacrifice made for God and country in the same way that we think about the blood shed in the same way that we go to the tombstones of our loved ones who have passed in service and we clean them up and we decorate them or we put flowers at them we remember them for they remember not and they are gone when we think about that the Christian church and the Christian community has a perfect correlation because we hold Christ in memoriam and that is an act that only a church can do. Let me have you turn please to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. This is Matthew's account of the Last Supper and what will follow in Gethsemane and the arrest of Christ and the trials and ultimately in 27, the crucifixion. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this is my body very strange thing to say then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them saying drink of it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins Can you imagine being there in that room? Christ is alive. He has not died. You've been traveling with him, watching him do his work. You know that to be in Jerusalem is dangerous, but it's Passover weekend. What you are celebrating this particular Passover evening is the deliverance that God has wrought. What you are celebrating is the way in which the angel of death passed over the homes of the firstborn those thousands of years or hundreds of years ago as the doorposts and lintel were painted with the blood of a lamb sacrificed and slain that lamb whose blood would be drained and whose blood would keep the wrath of God from destroying a people that blood that would protect the firstborn of a household and preserve them as priests that blood 
and the lamb would be roasted and eaten as the family stood with bitter herbs and flat breads and as they prepared in the night to leave their place of captivity and move to a homeland of pure grace and freedom. It wouldn't be easy and it was going to be a much longer journey than anybody envisioned. But Passover was a transition, a movement, a, a moving from a place of enslavement to a place of freedom. It was a liberation. It was something worth remembering. And in Matthew 26, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room in memoriam of God's acts of deliverance in the past. God has acted to perpetuate, to initiate, to guarantee, to put forth a new freedom for his people. To save them from something that they hadn't originally been in, slavery. To restore them, if you will. God is acting and the people are remembering and Christ is remembering with his disciples in this upper room. And then after saying these strange things about this is my body and this is my blood, for he had identified himself as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He had identified himself as the lamb, but the disciples were far from understanding or accepting. And in 29, at the end of this, he says, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day in which I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. In my father's kingdom. There's an eschatological element to this. The kingdom has come, Jesus would say, and is among you. It's here and now, but it is also to yet to come for I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. I'm coming back and when I do one of the things we're going to do as a people is remember. We're going to remember. We're going to remember God's amazing act of deliverance God's redemption of slaves slaves to sin and death we're going to celebrate the lamb that was slain once for all we're going to hold it in memoriam and that is the promise of the earth made new. That is the promise of the kingdom yet to come. That is the promise of heaven. And in the meantime, only a church can reenact. Only a church can hold in memoriam. Only a collective body can share in the meaning of these promises. We gather together for many reasons. But one of the reasons we gather as a church is to enact, to reenact. We don't do a weekly communion here. Some fellowships of Christians do. 
we do a quarterly it's arbitrary there's no law of the scripture that says it needs to be at a certain time Jesus said as often as you drink the cup and eat this bread remember me so there is a sense in which every time two or three of us gather and he is there and we're at Starbucks and and it's just Wes and I talking about writing or talking about life sharing a cup of coffee and a an indulgence, a sinful indulgence. <laughs> a slice of iced lemon bread. Have you had some of that there? All right, Scott knows what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll have to do that, Scott. The iced lemon bread. Oh, good stuff. Not on the diet plan. Whenever two or three are gathered, whenever Terry and Brian stand at the kitchen there in the fellowship hall and welcome our visitors and our guests and our members and we have potluck. We break bread together. It can only happen in that context together corporately. Whenever a home is opened and somebody experiences hospitality and somebody provides hospitality, you have an enactment. And that is a social phenomenon. It is not an individualistic reality. I can eat by myself, but it is not an enactment of the community of believers who celebrate the fact that one day we will eat with Christ himself and we will remember where we have come from and celebrate where we are now. One day. Only a community can do that. And when we gather, I know a lot of you would rather sit in the pews or go home than wash feet. I don't know why that is. We need to have a conversation sometime about that. It's not that bad. We put a little Clorox in the water. I shower every day. Most of you trim your toenails at least, you know, before they protrude through your shoes. <laughs> so, you know, it... it it's a little awkward, but it's, it's what we're commanded to do. We gather and we serve one another in this symbolic way. You, you, I can wash my own feet in the shower all day long. I mean, you know, you get the little scrubber out and do the, do the you know, stuff, flake the heel, heels, you know what I'm talking about. You sand your heels, right? Anybody sand your heels in the shower? Oh, man, you, you're missing out. Go to the beauty store, get one of those scrubbers, sit down and give your heels a good scrub. You'll feel like a new man or woman, believe me. I can do that all day long, but it is not a reenactment. It is not Jesus sitting or standing in an upper room, taking off his garments and his clothes, wrapping himself in a towel and doing what nobody there would do for pride and arrogance and forgetfulness and stubbornness and stupidity. They failed to hire a servant, a goyim. And Jesus knelt and washed their feet. Only a church can reenact that. And when we bless bread and wine, we don't turn it into anything magical. We make it a holy remembrance. This is my body. 
think about those bodies that come home and the reverence that we have for them. Military guard, emotionless and strong and proud and straight. Flags, 21 gun salutes, precise movements and steps, beautiful burial grounds, well manicured and maintained, crosses and stars of David and markers in neat rows endlessly going through the acres. Reverence. Reverence. And in memoriam, the church in joy, in reverence, reenacts a Christ who died that we might be free, that we might live that we might be forever able to look back. Matthew 26. I tell you the truth, verse 29. I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Something really, really powerful there. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. In Paul's talk on the propriety of worship, we have moved now from the remembrance of Passover, per se, to the Lord's Supper. Christ has died. He has rested. He has been resurrected. He has appeared to over 500. He has ascended to his Father. And the church has been established in the mission work of Paul and in the work of Peter in Jerusalem and James and so forth. And already people are forgetting what the memorial is all about. And in verse 17, Paul starts with criticisms. And he talks about how the Lord's Supper is not the Lord's Supper when we don't wait for others. When we eat another's portion and one goes hungry. Or when we drink another's portion and get drunk. He points to the fact that it is not a remembrance when we despise the church of God by failing to show courtesy and grace to one another. Or when we who have lord over those who have nothing. He says, The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it 
and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In memoriam. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, excuse me, I skipped a one. Verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me in memoriam. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, in memoriam is not just enactment. It's not just a play. It's a way in which a community lives. It is that which levels the playing field because you see, when you go to the graveside, you will find the son of a millionaire and you will find the son of one who died an alcoholic. When you go to the graveyard, you will find a man with an IQ laying in the tomb of of 90 and you will find a man with an IQ of 210 laying in the grave. When you go to the cemetery to honor those who have given themselves, been taken, you will find that one finished a doctoral program and another ran away after eighth grade. And you will find that the ground is level and the markers are the same. And the sacrifice is equally recognized. Because in Christ, the playing field is leveled. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no bondsman, there is no freeman, there is no male, there is no female. We are all recipients of his grace. Only church can do this. It would be amazing if communion Sabbath was the highest attended Sabbath ever in any given quarter, quarter to quarter in the Adventist church. It would be an amazing day because we would gather corporately, which we It's not an individual thing. And we would remember. We would remember. Well, I don't have a lot more for you, except I would like you to look uh, really briefly at Hebrews 13. I'm going to start in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. That's a heavy responsibility. But Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried away with bizarre, strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, 
bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good and share with others. For such sacrifice, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Keep watch. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And pray for us. We are sure that we have clear conscience and desire to live honorable in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. And may the grace, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will everything good for doing as well. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. This passage speaks of these things too, with one additional element which will come up in another uh, sermon on church. In this, there's a hint at the mandate of orthodoxy. And that is something only corporate bodies can determine. That is not an individual process either. By definition, by, by process and definition. So here it says in verse 7, remember those who lead you because they're trying to do as Christ has done and you're trying to do as Christ has done. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In their particular case, it says, don't be carried away with strange teachings. Their particular issue, as Paul is, or whoever the author of Hebrews is addressing it here, was Judaism. That is to say, was it necessary to be circumcised, to keep clean and unclean, and so forth, in order to become a Christian? There were those who said yes, and wanted the church to conform, wanted the church to be uh, Jew, Jewish before it became Christian. And the church said, no, that's not the requirement of God. And he says, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not particular foods. And we can apply that, and we will, to various challenges today. We don't have the same challenges. We don't really have those who say we have to be Jewish before we can be Christian or Adventist. But we have our own equivalents. And then it goes into this wonderful discussion or comment, verse 10, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. What do you think that that is talking about? It's okay. In Hebrews, if you were with us for that study, Christ is a priest in the order of whom? Melchizedek, yeah. And the priesthood of Melchizedek transcends the priesthood of Aaron. Correct. Good memory. Oh, you're right on. Oh, I thank God for you daily. <laughs> and this transcendence of the priesthood of Aaron means that the whole sacrificial system of Israel is transcended in Christ. And so what we're looking at 
is the table of the cross. We're looking at the memory of the salvation that has come in Jesus. He says we have an altar. The cross was the altar on which Christ was was offered from which those who minister to the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those who've bought into the idea that it is special foods and circumcision and so forth that make us holy. Don't eat from this cross of truth and grace. And he goes on to explain, the high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place of sin offering, but the bodies are outside the camp and Christ was crucified outside the camp. Let us share in his humiliation. Let us share in his disgrace. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So in Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I can stand in my living room and dance and sing and recite psalms and pray, and God hears it and, and, and rejoices with me. But that is not the same as the people of God lifting their voices in praise. It is not the mighty chorus. It is not the alleluias and the amens. It is not the cherubim and the seraphim and the f- four-eyed creatures or the multi-eyed creatures. And the, it is not these wonderful things that surround the throne of God. An individual act of praise is simply that. But Christ will be praised universally. Only the church can do that. Well, you look hungry. I trust you've been spiritually fed, but it's probably time for a meal. And if you eat it with somebody today, if you don't run off and eat by yourself, but if you gather yourself in some way, take a moment to rejoice. To pause and thank God for the sacrifices of great Americans and other nationals who fought with us. To pause and remember the sacrifice of God who in Jesus said it is finished and has prepared a place where we can remember deliverance from sin and death in perpetuity.